If you guys have your Bibles, open up to Esther. We're going to finish up Esther tonight as we uh, take a look at it. Remember, as we've come to this book, it's kind of cool. Well, kind of not cool, but kind of cool. We're going to finish the book of Esther tonight, and then next week we'll start the book of Job. Um, so hopefully I don't, have, I don't have to live what we're studying. But as we, uh, as we continue to work our way through and as we focus on Esther, remember, Esther is a book in which the name of God's not mentioned at all. The people of God are in a place where um, they're not practicing. They're not uh, um, really, you know, there's no temple. There's, there may be a synagogue somewhere. The people may be gathering in some way, but, but we don't see it on the page of Scripture. We've already seen two of the groups of exiles go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, uh, and then after Esther, we'll see the next group go uh, and, and rebuild the wall in the cities. And all the while, over and over again, even though those people had been in exile for 70 years and all these things were going on, God's message, guys, from Genesis throughout the Old Testament is that as long as you live lives that are God-centric, in other words, as long as God is central... Your home life is built around God. Your job is built around the Lord. Your living life is around the Lord. Everything is about Him. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord told us as parents, as men and women, to train up our children, right? What did He say? He said, teach them these things that that have been going on. The Old Testament up to Deuteronomy, which is, uh, uh, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And He said, teach them these things. Wherever you go, whatever you do, Take the opportunity when you're outside and you're pulling weeds to tell uh, uh, something, a scripture from the Bible, to tell them the story of the sower who went out to sow. Take the opportunities that are in our everyday to keep God central. Because when the people of Israel, you read it, we've gone through it together, we're all the way to Esther now. When we see God central, we see the people rocking. Things are happening in their life. Not to mean their life's easy, but things are happening. God is delivering. There is great victories. There are incredible challenges, but God raises them up above that. And, and what we learn from looking at that is, which of us, when we go through our daily lives, don't have those exact same things? Oh, you may not have a red seat across, but somewhere you got somebody like Pharaoh bearing down on your back. And you might feel trapped, like you can't go to the left and you can't go to the right and I don't know where to go. I mean, that, that's exactly how they were. And because God was central, right? He was the, the pillar of fire and the cloud that was over the people. They knew when God was moving. Look, if God's not central in our life, we're not going to know God's moving. And we're going to do our best to come up with, with plans and ideas. And this sounds good and that sounds good. And we're going to struggle in that. But when we look at the book of Esther, what we see in the book of Esther is the fingerprints of God, the providence of God working amongst the people who aren't even necessarily looking toward Him. And there's been a period of fasting. We read about it, right? And they, they, the Jews find out that all of the Persians are going to kill them in a year. They're going to kill them all. So they, isn't that how we do? I mean, oftentimes, when do we go to the Lord in prayer? When life is good, we just won the lottery, we got $10 million and don't know what to do with it, and so we go to the Lord? 
Or is it when we're losing everything? When things are rocky, when things are... So all the people, they fast and pray and they put on sackcloth and they called out to God. But look, God was working. God was moving amidst the Jews and it's not because they had done something to deserve it. And sometimes that's a struggle that we have. The struggle that we have is, if I live my life in order to deserve God's goodness, He'll give me His goodness. And the reason I don't have God's goodness in my life, or I'm not experiencing that goodness, is because I haven't done enough. That's called the debtor's ethic. The debtor's ethic means you think you owe God. You cannot, I cannot show my wife I love her with a debtor's ethic. Well, honey, I'm so lucky you stayed with me. So I'm just going right to... I probably am. I probably am. But, but to, to say that I'm going, to, I'm going to earn that grace that you showed me in my life by just being really good to you. It devalues the love. It devalues grace to say I'm, I want to earn it. To be handed a gift and to take that gift and say, Oh, man, I'm going to come over and work for you for this. It devalues the gift. All throughout Scripture, we are taught, from Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, that the justified, the righteous, the saved, live their lives how? By faith. The just shall live by faith. Which means... Even when I'm in the middle of captivity and nothing looks like it's going to work out, I hold God's promises in my hand and say, I believe the promise of God. That is the just living by faith. Not trying to earn it because I read my Bible more this week or I prayed more this week or I did something more than somebody else, but simply because I believe His promises. Now, did God give the nation of Israel promises? Did the Lord promise the nation of Israel that He was going to take care of them? Even though He put them in exile, did He tell them He would take them back out? They've already seen two waves leave Persia and come back to Israel. But just so we can remember the heart of God for His people in captivity, go to the greatest chapter on earth, Jeremiah 29. Flip over there while you're... While you're waiting for me to finally get to Esther. Jeremiah 29. If I had a nickel for everybody that had these verses on their refrigerator. But what uh, what an incredible word and promise from God to His people. And I've shared with you probably a hundred times. When God gave this word to the people, they were in chains... Their houses were gone. Their families were tore apart. They're walking into slavery into a foreign land. Okay, don't think that they're, they just got a new Corvette and everything's going great for them. Their lives are sideways, upside down, twisted, jacked up, uh, all kinds of problems in their life. And we come to Jeremiah 29, uh, verse 10. Let's look at it. Well, actually, let's just back up. Let's go all the way back up to verse 4. And I'll try not to waste too much time. So thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. So so why are they in Babylon? What did God just say? I just decided that's where you're going. You're going. Yeah, maybe none of you were the 
great perpetrator of the sin that the nation's being judged for, but it doesn't matter. You're going to Babylon. Here's what he says to him. Verse 5. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. So what's God's plan and purpose for His people going into captivity? To destroy them? To wipe them out? To take away everything? To make them stronger, isn't it? That they would grow, that they would be established, that they would live, that they would have an enjoyable life, that they would eat of their garden, and they would enjoy their children and their grandchildren and so forth and so on for 70 years. This is God's promise to them. Verse 7, And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away. That's not Jerusalem. What city is that? Babylon. They're going to Babylon, right? So he says, seek the peace of the city where you live. Be a blessing to the country and the place in which you live. And pray to the Lord for it. You guys see that? Pray to the Lord for it. Who's the it? That city, right? That nation who just put you in chains and they're your slave masters. And they're mistreating you and misjudging you and all that stuff. The Lord says, you pray for this city. And you seek the peace of this city. And you bless this place where I'm going to cause you to grow. For in its peace, you will have peace. See, they're joined. We're joined. We're joined together by the body of Christ. When there's peace in the house of God, there's peace in the body of Christ. If there's war in the house of God, there's war in the body of Christ, right? Seek the peace of the city. But then look what else he says. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. So God gives a warning. Don't just listen. Don't turn on the TV and listen to some guy on TV and assume that was a prophecy for you. What was the problem in Jeremiah's time? He spent all this time ministering to the people who are now in exile during the time of Esther. Um, nearly 70 years earlier. And, and longer, he'd ministered to them, but they wanted to listen to preachers who told them they're pretty good people. And they really, everything was going to be okay. And you just keep trying, and, and it's good enough. And God's not really upset. And, and you just add God into your life. Just cut out a little niche in your busy existence, and, and let God hold that niche. But if you're going to worship other gods and do other things, right on, just go for it. And God said, I didn't send those guys. And they're lying. And because the nation of Israel believed them, more people died than ever had to. Because they wouldn't listen. And I like it because he says, and don't listen to the dreams you caused to be dreamed. You ever have a dream you caused to dream? I had lots of dreams. You know how I know when the dreams and desires and wants are from the Lord? 
when I love the Lord with all my heart, then I know. Because he said in Psalm 39, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. If I'm not in that place, if I can honestly say I'm not in prayer, I'm not spending time with the Lord, I'm not focused on Him, I'm living a life man-centric, not God-centric, and I have a dream, it's bogus. I hear a prophecy, it's, it's leading me astray. If I'm God-centric, God-central, my heart is for Him, I'm delighting in the Lord, and I have a dream, or a prophecy, or something comes through, then I can know, hey, I'm God, I'm centered on the Lord. You look in the Scriptures and you find a a prophet that God talked to, who listened to him, who wasn't God-centric. You guys remember Balaam, right? How many times did God tell him not to go? Don't go, Balaam. Balaam, don't go. Lord, if you don't want me to go, I won't go. Seriously? Because this is like the third time you've asked if you can go. But Lord, really, they're going to give me a lot of money. And I could really be set. You know, my life could really be good. Don't go, Balaam. But Lord, yeah, does he really want to do what God wants him to do? Did he listen when the donkey talked? Nope. He didn't listen when the donkey talked either. He didn't listen until God finally said, go. God did the same thing with Pharaoh, didn't he? It is possible to harden your heart against the Lord over and over again until God just turns you over. Right on, brother. Go. Balaam died in a pagan city conquered by the nation of Israel several years later because he never left the gold and the silver that was his desire. God wasn't his desire. The the desire he listened to was not from God. It was from himself. But then look what the Lord says. I better hurry up or we'll never get Esther done. In verse 10, For thus says the Lord, After seventy years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. So God's plan was, after 70 years, I'm going to give you a chance to come back. The first one was Zerubbabel and Joshua. They built the temple. The second group was Ezra. After Ezra gets there, the time of Esther takes place. The third group is Nehemiah. Going back, being led back. And then he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. And I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with what? Don't ever think that God just wants to be added to your life. He wants to be a footnote in your day. Oh, and by the way, I did all this stuff today. Da, 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 and, then, and then right before I went to bed, I said my prayers. Don't make God a footnote. He doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants to be central. Everything else... As attached to him. The reason I go to work. The reason I do what I do. The reason I say what I say. It's all for his honor. For his glory. He says I will be found by you. Says the Lord. Listen. I will bring you back. From your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations. And from all the places. Whithersoever I have driven you. 
says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. God's promise. Now Haman's plan, back in Esther, is to see all the Jews dead. Right? He was going to hang Mordecai last week. He was going to hang Mordecai, you remember? He was on his way to tell the king, hey, let's hang Mordecai. At just the right moment, God stirred in the king's heart. To read in his annals, he found that Mordecai was a hero, and he picked Haman to give a parade for Mordecai. You remember? And then, yeah, and then after he come back, and he and he's and he's back in the the meeting with the queen, and the queen says Haman wants to kill us all, and so Haman got hung. But that's not the end of the trouble, right? You remember Haman wrote a decree. The decree said, in roughly one year from the time he wrote it, all Jews will be killed. Once a law is written in Medo-Persia, that law stands forever. It cannot be rescinded. It cannot be changed. It will not be altered. Because that would mean that the king was wrong. And since the king is God, he can't be wrong. So the laws don't change. Well, it says in in chapter 8, on that day, verse 1, King Ahasuerus... Remember that Xerxes gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king for Esther had told how he was related to her. So Mordecai is being honored. Verse 2, so the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. What does that mean? That means Mordecai just became the second most powerful man in the world. You ever seen that theme in the Bible, Joseph, second most powerful guy. And, you know, we see the, those kind of things come up. What about Daniel under, under Nebuchadnezzar? Number two, Mordecai, same thing. Number two, the Lord elevated him. God put him in a position where he could help his people. It said, now Esther spoke again to the king. Now, you guys remember, you couldn't just talk to the king, right? It wasn't like, ladies, like you can talk to your husband today and say, oh, come on, you knucklehead, why'd you do this? Nope, you had to have permission. If the king didn't want to talk to you, off with with your head. (laughs) That's why you're single, John. (laughs) So, (laughs) So Esther comes before the king, spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite, and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king. And she said, If it pleases the king, and I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadath of the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in the king's provinces. You notice she doesn't blame it on the king. So there's a little bit of, of uh, I don't know, politicking. If she was to say, Xerxes, you big knucklehead, you did this, which he did, um, but she might not get very far. So for whatever reason, the Lord leads her to focus on Haman, the one who was who who fathered, if you will, the law. So she points it all out to Haman. Uh, the king is is pleased with her. The king wants to uh, um, make her happy. He wants to, to, to honor his wife. And so he's going to give her 
what she wants. But here's what I want you to see. Now, how much difference can one person make? But not for Esther. There's no Jews. There's no Messiah. There's no Jesus. One person can accomplish a lot in the hands of God, coming before the Lord, trusting in His promises. And you remember her attitude last week? If I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. I love the, the missionaries that were headed over to uh, minister to the, uh, some cannibal tribes um, in, uh, I, I forget where it was, I want to say it's Southeast Asia somewhere, but they're, they're headed over there and the captain kind of got to know all these missionaries. He kind of spent time with them and, and, you know, got to know their stories and he was trying to talk them out of going, you guys go, they're going to kill you. Everybody who goes, these, these, these savages are just going to kill you. They're not going to understand what you're trying to say. They're going to kill you. And they kept saying it over and over and over. Night before, they're going to, they're going to drop these people off at the island. The captain's talking to the, the leader of the missionary unit who's going out there. And the, that missionary looked at the captain and he said, We died before we ever came. Same words Paul said in Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by the power of the Son of God. A life relegated to serving God's purpose. That's God-centric. Right? If I perish, I perish. So she goes before the throne room. It's a great picture. This particular section in, in Esther chapter 8 is a great picture of prayer. Of prayer. Going before the throne room and not being afraid to ask the king. Then the Bible tells us that we can enter boldly into the throne of grace. Then the scripture tells us that we can go before the creator of all the universe and make our requests known. Doesn't the Bible tell us to cast all our cares on him because he cares for us? But it's the most neglected discipline in the life of a believer. Prayer. She wasn't afraid to ask the king. And the the odds of her catching grief from her king are a lot worse than our odds of catching grief from ours. To go before him to intercede for her people... She interceded for her people. Remember when Solomon did the temple? What did he say? Remember on the day that he built the temple, he said, people are going to mess up and they're going to, they're going to mess this thing up. But if my people, the Lord said through Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Right? God says, I'll hear and I'll heal. But if we don't ever go before the king like Esther did, then we're never going to see God move in the ways Esther got to see God move. She said, if it pleases the king and and you're happy with me, verse 6, for how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? And King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him in the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. 
You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews, as you please, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's signet. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with his signet ring, no one can revoke. No one can revoke. Kind of like the law of sin and death. There's no revocation of the old covenant. There is an invocation of a new covenant. A new law that saves where the old law could not. And that's what you see taking place here. The king does the same thing he did with, with Haman. Mordecai's number two. He says, Mordecai, write it down. Stick my signet ring in it. It's like it came from the, from the voice of the king. And then do it. See that it's done. So, the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, in the 23rd day. And it was uh, written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, the princes of the provinces, from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all. Uh, by the way, some estimates say the kingdom of Persia at this time had 100 million people in it. That was a lot of people. 127 provinces in all, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. And he wrote it in the name of King Ahasuerus, and sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent riders by courier on horseback, riding on royal horses bred from swift steeds. So they want to get the word out. I want you to think about the, what Mordecai does here, because it's actually kind of cool how he, how he deals with this. In verse 11, By these letter, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them. I want you to hear what he did. There's three specific things about this law. Three specific things. The Jews were only to kill those who attacked them. If nobody assaulted, there would be no battle. The Jews only killed the men. We're going to see that in three places. And the Jews did not take the loot. They just defended themselves from those who attacked And the first thing he said there in verse 11, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province. What's the next phrase? That would assault them. Now you see the next phrase. Some people have uh, assumed that this next phrase is talking about the people who attacked you and then you go kill their wives and children. That's not what it says. It's That sentence is applied to the them who would assault them, their wives, and their children. Are you guys with me? Both the women and the children. They were given permission to plunder their possessions, but the idea is whoever attacked them, they were to gather together, protect themselves, anyone who attacked them, they could fight. They would protect themselves against whoever came against them, their women, and their children. Okay? We all together? So then he goes on in verse 12. On... One day, in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is in the month of Adair. So, roughly they have eight months of preparation. 
So the first decree goes out, what's that, 8, 9, 10, 11, to four months earlier. So roughly, four months earlier, the first decree goes out. Four months later, Haman's dead. Mordecai is number two. Just how quick things can change. And there's a new law that says that the Jews can band together and defend themselves. Now I want you to think, is that a deterrent? Should be, shouldn't it? Initially, the law was, if you don't like the Jews, just go in and kill them all. And all their stuff is yours. Now, I can see a lot of people who hated the Jews wanting to do that. Right? The easy way to get a new house, get a new car, get some new stuff, gold and silver, whatever. Let's just go wipe them out and take their stuff. But then a new law comes and a new law says, hey, the Jews can band together and fight back. Now, I'm not so interested anymore. Some people still are. We'll see. Some people still hate the Jews no matter what happens, right? For example, can you imagine kidnapping three high school age boys and killing them just because they're Jews? Just because they're Jews. It's been all over the news. Right? Nobody can solve what's going on. Uh, Not that I... Uh, I mean, I, I support Israel, but I don't care how many of those people you blow up. It's never going to stop. Where does it come from? Satan. You can't blow Satan up. The hatred that's in the heart of the people, you can maybe vindicate yourselves, but just like them, they made the law to say, now, because we've made this strong stand and the Jews can fight, maybe nobody will come. But that's not the case. 75,000 people are going to die. It should have been a deterrent, right? If I say, you want to come rob my house? (laughs) And uh, you're more than welcome to rob my house, but if I'm there, I'm going to not let you. Hopefully it's enough of a deterrent, right? So, So that's kind of what's going on with the... With the law that Haman wrote. And they take it as quick as they can in every language. Deliver it to all the people. Um, it says, And a copy of the document was to be issued in verse 13 as a decree in every province published for all the people so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. So Jews get to fight back. That's the rule. Verse 14, the couriers who rode on royal horses went out, hastened and pressed on by the king's command. Oh, wouldn't it be neat if that's how we responded to the king's command? Or are you wondering what command I'm talking about? Go into all the world, make disciples of all men, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always even until the end of the age. It's a great commission, right? When these guys got the word of the king, they hastened and pressed. They went for it. They went for it. For whatever the king had called. Well, in verse 15, it tells us, And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white and great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad now not that long ago they were all in sackcloth and ashes and fasting and praying you remember 
When you're in sackcloth and ashes and fasting and praying, you never think it's going to end. Oh, here I am again. Bad things are going to happen. Nothing ever goes my way. We can start to be disobedient to the word of God because in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, Paul tells us through the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to meditate on what? Pure, lovely, good. But what more often do we choose to meditate on? The bad, the garbage, the junk, the trash. But he says in Philippians 4, 8, meditate on these things. Focus on God. I can't find anything good in my life. Jesus Christ died for your sins. You're going to spend eternity with Him. The worst your life is ever going to be is how it is now. And one day, you're going to know joy inexpressible. If we focus on that, then the garbage doesn't pull us down. But it requires us to be God-centric. God-central. Not man-centric. If I'm man-centric, I just see all my problems. If I'm God-centric, I see how big my God is. And our God, He's able, isn't He? Look what He's done for them. They were sackcloth and ashes. Now He's wearing a crown. He's the number two man in all the world. He's making all these decisions. Verse 16 says, And the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. Or they had hope. They had hope. Because God was moving. He was keeping His promises. We looked in Jeremiah. God was keeping His promises. He was going to do what He promised to do. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. And in every province, city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. And many of the people of the land became Jews because the fear of the Jews fell upon them. And what that means is, when the decree went out, a lot of people in the land said, hey, we're siding with the Jews. In other words, when the bad guys come to take all your stuff, we stand with them. We're standing with the Jews. We still see that happening today, don't we? A lot of churches stand with Israel Stand with the Jews, not that they're perfect, but that God's word declares, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Right? Genesis chapter 12. So the holding on to those promises, believing in the promises of God, they stood beside the Jews. There was no temple, guys. They couldn't become Jews. They, they had to go down to the temple. They had to be circumcised. There's all those other things. But what they could do is become God-fearers, like we see everywhere in the Old Testament, which is a Gentile who believed in the God of the Jews and who sided with them. And so that's what's happening. They're siding with the Jews. They're siding with Him, turning their back on their people. Now, in the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. And on the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. How many times throughout the Old Testament have we read that? They go into battle against some other king, some other force, greatly outnumbered, but God is with them and they have the victory. They're outnumbered. They're in the middle of a, of a community of a hundred million people and they're maybe... 500,000 Jews, maybe less. They're outnumbered. 
They're outnumbered. People all around them. But God is with them. The Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could withstand them because the fear of them fell upon all the people. You remember when Joshua took the children of Israel to Jericho? You remember what Rahab said? The fear of the Lord has fallen upon us because we know God's with you. Almost the same language, word for word, as you hear the people saying here. The people were afraid. They were afraid because they could see the fingerprints of God on his people. How he was watching out for them. How he was taking care of them. And all the officials in the provinces, satraps, governors, and all those doing the king's work helped the Jews. Because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. Well, Mordecai, the Jew, number two guy in all the land, so all the other uh, politicians sided with Mordecai. So that means whoever was coming against the Jews in a certain area, the governor of that area was standing with the Jews. The leaders of the town were standing with the Jews. They were protected. It didn't make sense to still try to attack them, but hate doesn't make sense all the time, does it? Hate does dumb stuff. Hate does, it's just crazy. It's just crazy what people will do uh, just for hate. It says in verse 4, For Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai became increasingly prominent. Thus the Jews defeated all the enemies with a stroke of the sword, with slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those who hated them. Listen to verse 6. And in Shushan, the citadel... The Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Period. That's not a loose term for mankind. That's a masculine term for men. They killed 500 men. You remember I told you they only attacked the men who attacked them and their women and children. So they killed 500 men who came against them. Also... Parshandatha, Dolphin, Aspapha, Poratha, Adelia, Eridatha, Parshmashta, Erisai, Eridai, and Vajestha, the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. Interesting, every one of those kids is named after a demon. And during the Feast of Purim, whenever they read their names, they read it in one breath because they all died together. The ten sons. Well, these are the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, but they did not, the Jews, they killed them, the enemies, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. They didn't take people's stuff. They didn't steal. All they did was protect themselves. On that day, the number of those who were killed in Shushan, the citadel, was brought to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Shushan, the citadel, and the ten sons of Haman... What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your petition? It will be granted to you. Or what is, it, what is your further request? It shall be done. So the king is stoked that the Jews were able to protect themselves. That Esther's people were going to be okay. And he says, what else do you want? I just love it when God works the circumstances around so the people he has in the right position keep getting blank checks. Well, this king has already told Esther, I'll give you half the kingdom. But you know she's never asked for nothing for herself? Don't you think Esther ever had a dream of being a, a wife and having kids? You know she can't never have that, right? 
She don't ever get a family. She lives her life in a harem and comes to the king whenever he gets around to calling her name. It ain't a posh life. It ain't something everybody dreamed about. It's not a Disney princess movie. But she never once asks for something for herself. She just wants the people taken care of. Philippians chapter 2, the Lord said, Do nothing of selfish ambition, but let each of you esteem others as more important than yourself. That's what they did. That's the attitude that we see with Esther. So the king says, anything you want again. So Esther said, if it pleases the king, let it be granted to the Jews who are in Shushan to do again tomorrow according to the day's decree and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. Same place that Haman was hung. So the king commanded this to be done. The decree was issued in Shushan. They hanged Haman's sons. And the Jews who were in Shushan gathered again on the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men in Shushan, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. So once again, there was word that there was going to be further attacks the next day. So she said, let us let the Jews defend themselves one more day. So he did, and 300 more men died, who would, who would have tried to slaughter the Jews the following day. The remainder of the Jews in the king's provinces gathered together and protected their lives, had rest from their enemies, killed 75,000 of their enemies, but did not lay a hand on the plunder. They didn't do it to get money or to get riches. This was the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. It began with fasting and sackcloth. It ends with feasting and gladness. There's an important thing for us to grasp in that because a lot of times my week will begin with fasting and sackcloth. But I don't ever want to go through my week assuming that that's all it's ever going to be forever. Because Jesus said it through Isaiah 61. He said, I've come to give you beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There may be sorrow in the evening, but joy comes in the morning. That's God's promise. So in the midst of it all, what's he want us to do? Hold on to the promise. God said, it's not always going to be this way. It's not always going to hurt this bad. It's not always going to be this, this much of a struggle. There will be others. But God said, I will carry you through. He said, what I have begun in you, I will finish. He didn't say, what I have begun in you, you need to make sure you take care of. Is that what he said? So what I began, if I've begun a good work in you, I will see it to completion. He's the author and the finisher. Right? It's what the word declares. And so that's the promise that we see being fulfilled. They're, they're, they're having parties. They're fasting. Or I'm sorry, they're feasting and having gladness. Verse 19, Therefore the Jews of the villages who dwelt in the unwalled town celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar with gladness and feasting as a holiday and for sending presents to one another. It becomes like Christmas. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews 
near and far, who were in the provinces of King Ahasuerus, to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th days in the month of Adar. That's the Feast of Purim. That's what the book of Esther is all about. The establishment of the Feast of Purim. As the days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies, as the month, listen, which was turned from sorrow to joy, from mourning into a holiday, that they should make days of feasting and joy and sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. It's always too soon to quit. It's always just tomorrow it changes. Everything's going to be different. Everything's going to change. The point is, please, I hope you can hear me. The point is not to be man-centered where my focus is me, 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 me all the time. How does this affect me? What's going on in my life? Don't you care what's going on for me? That's the wrong attitude. That is me central. That is me God. When God is central, it's about His will. His purpose. And I can trust Him. And I can cling to Him. And I can hold to Him. Because He promised me in Jeremiah 29, 11, that He knows the thoughts He's thinking about me. And before you go, Jackie, He was telling that to the Jews. I'll take you to Jesus. Jesus said all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. How many promises of God? We don't got to go through all, right? All means what? Most, some, occasionally, a few. All means all. That's all that all means. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. In Christ Jesus. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good, not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. What did he tell the people going into slavery? I'm going to increase you. Even though this is hard. And it hurts. I'm going to make you better. Trust me. Seek me with your whole heart. Keep me central. Lay your hands on me. Don't forget to pray. Intercede for your brethren. Do all of those things. And I will turn your sorrow into joy. Isn't that what God does? Every time. So the Jews accepted the custom that had begun as Mordecai has written to them because Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast the poor, which is the lot, to consume them and destroy them. That's where the word Purim comes from. But when Esther came before the king, she commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews would return on his own head and that he and his sons would be hanged on the gallows. So they called these days Purim, after the name Pur. Uh, therefore, because of all the words of this letter that they had seen concerning this matter and what had happened to them. The Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them. And without fail, they celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time. That these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, every city, that these days of Purim would not fail to be observed among the Jews, and that the memory of them would not perish among their descendants. And Queen Esther, the daughter of Abigail, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter about Purim, 
Mordecai sent the letters to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth, to confirm these days of Purim after their appointed time, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them. And as they had decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting, so the decree of Esther confirmed the matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. And we just read it. And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on all the islands of the sea. Now all the acts of his power, his might, the account of the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus, and was great among the Jews, and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people, and speaking peace to all his countrymen. And the book of Esther comes to a close. God's name never mentioned. But the fingerprints of God are on every page. God was moving in their story. God is moving in your story. God is moving in my story. He has a purpose and a plan and we can trust him.